This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. And we are into a series right now called Becoming a Whole Person. Today's episode is called What Every Parent Cannot Avoid. And we're saying that that is the category of emotions. And I'm with Lynn today. Hi, John. And it's been a long time since you and I have yeah. been like, you know, ponied up and mm-hmm. the only two people on the range. The OG. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really good to be with you. Yeah. Good to be with you as well. Um, you wanted to remind our listeners to go back and listen to something connected to this. Right. Well, as we do this Becoming a Whole Person series, what I am reminded by is our very first series that we introduced almost a year ago called Managing Your Emotions would be a great series to go back to because we talk about anxiety, depression, grief, sadness, guilt, anger, shame. And those are all the things that come up when we parent. And so if you haven't listened to that yet, go back to the original episodes and download, and um, I think you'll learn a lot. And so we are now talking about parenting, and John, I just want to know what happens if parents avoid their emotions? Yeah, I think there's a pretty high price to pay, um, because if you don't learn to work with your emotions, you lose the ability to adapt to certain situations and function mm-hmm. uh, within a normal range of reactivity and response kind of like if you don't use a muscle it begins to shrink and Mm -hmm. then it's not as powerful Mm -hmm. very similar with using emotions and they're very very prevalent Mm -hmm. and very powerful which is why i think we have a hard time with them why we want to avoid them (laughs) well exactly yeah Uh, we kind of don't know what to do with them and so we tiptoe around them Mm -hmm. and they get a bad rap And I think for good reasons, because if we don't know what to do with them, they become very dangerous Mm -hmm. and they get us into situations that we regret. Would you say that we are more driven by our emotions than our rationality? Absolutely. I I mean, you and I talk a lot about this. (laughs) By the time your left brain decides this is what we're going to do, (laughs) Mm. it's because you've traveled, whether consciously or not, through a lot of emotional terrain in your right brain, Mm -hmm. and it colors your decisions. Um, So here's some examples of how prevalent emotions are in ways that maybe we don't realize. Take the stock market. Um, It's driven by basically fear and greed. Hmm. When people are like, sell now, sell, (laughs) Um, they're Mm -hmm. afraid that they're going to lose Mm -hmm. money, right? Mm -hmm. Or what about when they're in the opposite direction of like, we've got to buy, we have to buy. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of greed there. Sure. Um, At least the stock market has the integrity to call it market sentiment. They Mm. get pretty close, like to nailing that, Mm -hmm. hey, this is very emotional. Mm -hmm. Uh, Take our toxic political climate. Mm. What is driving the latest street protest? 
Why are people screaming in each other's faces? Think of faces? all the emotion there. Yeah. Tons of it. Mm. Um, in terms of psychosocial development, I would suggest our culture is about 13 years old huh. emotionally. Mm -hmm. And everybody knows this and feels it, that our culture feels very chaotic and unstable. And a lot of what's been held as true and right for a long time is now basically being overturned by whatever happens to feel good to mm -hmm. those who yell the loudest. Which I think is another case for why we can't avoid our emotions. We, we need to understand them or else they're going to drive us to do things that maybe aren't rational or even good for us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, take cancel culture. Um, it's kind of parallel to ticking off the ninth grade cheerleaders and they no longer <laughs> let you sit at their lunchroom table, right? <laughs> Or right. like, why can't you stay on a diet? Mm. Because you know what's good for you to eat mm -hmm. and what's not. It's usually deprivation and loss. Like, I don't want the house salad and water. I want the cheeseburger and fries. So, and I don't, yeah. I don't want to feel like I'm being deprived of something or losing something. Emotional eating. Emotional eating. Um, so what if you can't manage your emotion of fear? As a parent, sometimes you'll act that out by teaching fear to your kids when you overprotect them. Mm -hmm. So emotion is an, a tremendous source of information about the condition of our hearts. But if we want to feel more grounded and in control of our lives and our relationships, we need to be very informed, literate, and downright intellectual hmm. about the power of emotions and what they're trying to do inside of us. We need to get in the driver's seat to manage the emotions or they'll spin out of control. And one of my favorite Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 25, 28, says, like a city without walls that is easily broken into, so is a man who has no control over his spirit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of what we're talking about is emotional intelligence, you know, and there's a lot of talk about emotional intelligence these days and how it impacts relationships, both good and bad. And John, you and I really like the work of John and Julie Gottman. They are psychologists and researchers, and they've done research on both couples and their dynamic and actually being able to predict whether a couple can stay married over the long haul or not. But they've also done research on parenting and what it looks like to engage with your child's emotional world and the impact, good or bad, that that has on the child. And so um, what they found is that the role of parents is critical in helping their child develop emotional intelligence, which I would think every parent wants, right, for their child to have. And when you and I teach our parenting class called Real Parenting, we use uh, John and Julie Gottman's material called Emotion Coaching. It's curriculum that they developed because like we're talking about, it helps parents not only deal with their own emotions, but it also gives them tools to help kids deal with their emotions. And so some of his research looked at what are the characteristics of emotion coaching parents. And so we're going to go through that today in our episode so you can benefit from what he found. But before we start that, I just want to normalize parents who are listening, because sometimes when we hear this material, we think, oh, shoot. I've been doing this all <laughs> wrong, right, right? Right. And you can feel very overwhelmed uh, by new approaches, but just keep in mind that there is no perfect parent. And we say that a lot, you know, 
Um, we're all on a growth plan designed by God. We're all learning about our strengths and weaknesses. But the idea is that how can we coach our children to understand their own hearts so that when they encounter life's difficulties, they're equipped to handle loss, disappointment, frustration, you know, all the things that come with life and all the emotions that come with it. Yeah, I often will tell clients when they bemoan, hey, I don't have enough time to spend with my kids. I don't do enough things with them. I missed their ball game. Hmm. I love coming in and saying, well, let me tell you what your kid needs the most. <laughs> mm -hmm. They need you to look in their eyes and be able to detect what is happening inside of them in their emotional world. And that will mess them up for life in a really good way sure. because they want to be known. Mm -hmm. That's what we want, bottom line. So if you miss a ball game, if you can't play with your kid in the backyard because you're working extra hours one week, that is so repairable mm -hmm. to just sit down with your kiddo and say, hey, I've really missed being with you. Mm -hmm. Have you missed me? Mm -hmm. And how are you doing? And just being able to be with them. Um, we call that connecting with them in a love way. And we refer, it, we refer to it as communicating love versus doing love. Yes. And if you didn't listen to our very first episode in this Becoming a Whole Person series, we go in depth about what those two basic ingredients are that every child needs, which is love and limits. And that's kind of what we're talking about here, the love piece. Yeah. So I want you to talk about how we all have a model in our minds of how to parent. <laughs> and we've picked that up kind of like a virus almost. Mm -hmm. We've picked it up by our environment, how our parents parented us. Um, so you want to talk a little bit about that? The yeah. Kind of typical ways. I do. We tend to. And when up. I share this with clients, their eyes get wide <laughs> and they're like, Oh my goodness, that's exactly right. That's exactly what my parents did with me, or that's exactly what I do with my kids. So here are the typical ways that parents respond to their child's emotions. And when I say that this is most parents, I include myself in that, right? Um, but as I explain this, I want you to just think about which category you tend to fall into, okay? So there's three main ways that we've learned like you said, probably from our own parents, how to respond to our child's emotions and even our own emotions. So everything we talk about in these episodes, you can either apply to your hmm. child as a parent or you can look at yourself and apply to yourself. So the first one is that we just dismiss emotions. We avoid them altogether. We ignore them. <laughs> we, we pretend that they don't exist and we just hope that they go away. Um, the second one is, is that we disapprove of them. So mm -hmm. when our child has, let's say, particularly a negative emotion, we may punish them for that. We may say, it's you're not allowed to feel that way. You know, we might, they might get angry. We might get angry that they're angry. We disapprove that they're having that negative intense emotion. And then the last way that we typically respond to emotions is we try to fix them. We try to rescue our child from feeling anything negative. Um, we jump in and try to save them from this emotion. And we often do that for ourselves as well. Like, well, let me just go, you know, eat a bowl of ice cream, right? That'll make yeah. this bad feeling go away. You know, so these are the three main ways 
that we have learned how to handle emotions. Well, what I find interesting about that as I listen to you explain it, this is all parent-centered. In other words, the kid is not automatically learning to dismiss his emotion or her emotion or disapprove of it Mm -hmm. or try and fix it themselves. The parent modeling this for them. Mm -hmm. So it's the parent doing the dismissing, the disapproving, the fixing. And so the kids are like sponges Mm -hmm. and they just soak this up. Well, I guess that's what we do with emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, I hear a lot from clients when they grew up, their parents would say, we don't get angry here. Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, the sad thing is, is that's an attribute of God. And there's a lot to be angry about. Sure. It's a very healthy emotion. Mm Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is if a kiddo hears that from the parent, we don't get angry. Well, every time they feel angry, they feel like they're defective right? or there's something wrong with them. Yeah, exactly. And that induces shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when we you know, use this material in our class, what Gottman talks about is that it's actually not race or gender, athletic ability, genetics, good looks, or even money, like financial status that contributes to a child's success. It was actually this whole model that we're talking about, which is emotion coaching. And so it's basically a parenting style that uses a variety of behaviors to influence positive effects on your child. So instead of dismissing, disapproving, or fixing, what they teach in their material and what we're going to talk about today is you coach your child through the emotion, hmm. like like diving into the wave. You know, you can't avoid it. Here it comes. Okay, what are we going to do with it? How can we be with our children in the emotion? And like you said, John, we give our kids a piece of our heart when we do that. They yeah. feel known, seen, loved, all the things that we want them to feel. Well, and what I like about this, this stuff you're going to get into is anyone can learn these skills of emotion coaching, even if you didn't have this when you were growing up, it's a skill set that you can practice. So tell us what that skill set is. Right. So the first thing that they noticed was that emotion coaching parents were able to notice lower intensity emotions in their children and in themselves. So what we mean by that is they didn't wait for the child to go, you know, nuclear <laughs> right? and just, you know, emotions flying all over the place. As soon as they noticed a change in their child's emotional state at a lower intense point, they tuned into that. They recognized hmm. it. They noticed that. And they saw emotions as an opportunity to connect with their child. So instead of dismissing, avoiding, punishing, they, they thought to themselves, ooh, this is a moment where I can engage with my child's heart. I can move towards them. I bet you for every one of these, we can do a parallel point of the child feels known. The child mm-hmm. feels connected mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. They don't feel isolated mm-hmm. and weird. So no wonder right. their <laughs> intensity is going down. Yeah. No wonder mm-hmm. they're calming more so. Absolutely. Yeah. So emotion coaching parents also saw, and this is a key point, I think, negative emotions as healthy and normal, and they weren't impatient with their child when they showed negative emotions. That's a huge one because I think, 
you know, those negative emotions are the ones that we tend to want to shut down really quickly. So emotion coaching parents normalize their child. Like you said, you know, hey, if you're angry, you're frustrated, you know, you have every right to be. That that feels really bad. And they moved toward their child in those. Yeah, like feelings. what's that about, Billy? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, Billy has to intellectualize what he's feeling. Mm-hmm. Like and he doesn't it. feel alone yeah. with it. Yeah, exactly. So they also helped their child verbally label their emotions. You know, sometimes in counseling, we use a feeling word sheet. And at first, people are a little skittish. You know, what do I need this for? But there are hundreds, maybe thousands of words to describe our emotions. And what the research shows is that when you can label what you're feeling, like you said, intellectualize it, you immediately start to feel a little bit more control internally over what you're experiencing. And so an emotion coaching parent was able to give their child those words hmm. because kids, you know, they don't, other than screaming, you know, they may not have the language to describe what is happening inside of them. Well, what do we say in sessions? We'll tell clients, if you can name it, mm-hmm. you can tame it. Right. So it's giving a child an ability to categorize what's happening inside of them. Right. And then the parent also empathized with the child. This is what they noticed, that even when the feelings were intense or negative, or even if their child was misbehaving, an emotion coaching parent was able to find a way to empathize, normalize, put themselves in the child's shoes and attempt to see the world from their perspective. Um, And so they were able to then help the child feel normal and that all feelings are acceptable. Now, they didn't accept all behavior. They didn't say, okay, you can (laughs) take the, you know, permanent marker and draw all over mommy's wall if that's what makes you happy. That's not what we're talking about. But the feeling behind it is what the parent really focused on and tried to empathize on with the child. You know, and then the last thing that Gottman noticed was that, you know, they did this emotion coaching, but then they followed it up with a limit setting. Mm. So it wasn't all about the emotion and it's okay to feel anything and everything, but they also moved into, okay, but but it's not okay to hit your sister with the toy. You know, it's not right. okay right. to pull the cat's tail. So what are we going to do to put consequences in place, to put limits around those behaviors? So these are the basic things that Gottman found in his research. And They sound simple, and in some sense they are, but the doing of these things is where we can really um, struggle because our, again, the fixing, the disapproving, the punishing, those are our automatic responses. This is something that's going to take more conscious effort. Yeah, that's really good. And, And I really like the balance of understanding the emotional world and connecting, which is vital, and limit setting. Mm-hmm. Because again, not if you feel like hitting somebody, that doesn't mean it's okay to hit someone. Right. So this is not emotionalism mm-hmm. where you just try to understand little Billy and he's hitting every kid on the playground with a big stick. <laughs> uh, that's got to stop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if Billy has any chance of ever self-controlling right. and self-regulating, He's got to have a, a way to describe, mm. I feel so angry. Right. Mm-hmm. And now, like, use your words. 
make a wise choice with what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that in a minute sure. from Dan Siegel. Mm-hmm. Um, what's cool about this approach to parenting is it, it's very rooted in a biblical model of how God parents us. Um, when we're able to connect to our child's emotional world, we're communicating love to them mm-hmm. verbally and non-verbally by showing them that we are with them. They're not alone. And this really correlates with a biblical framework of how God relates to us. Um, remember, God wants to be with us. And that, that that's even in the title of our yeah, podcast, that's right? why we titled it that. With you in mm-hmm. the weeds. Mm-hmm. Um, because first and foremost, he created us to have a relationship with him. And even though we have broken that relationship, he pursues us by sending Jesus to be with us. And he gives us every opportunity to come home and come closer. Yes, I love that we can correspond this to the way that God parents us. And I took the time to look up the phrase, I am with you in the Bible. And I found over 30 verses that contain just this phrase. Now that sentiment is all throughout the story of the Bible, but there are so many contexts in which God tells us and wants to assure us that he is with us. So just for example, verses that talk about when we feel guilt over our sin and need to be restored and cleansed, God is with us. When we are afraid, God is with us. When we feel alone or deserted, he's with us. When we're in a battle or a trial or we're experiencing difficulty or suffering, he's with us. When we feel weak or helpless or discouraged, he's with us. When we need guidance or wisdom or strength, the Bible tells us that God is with us. And so what I like about this is that you can see the variance in the emotion that I just described. And what we're told in scripture is that in these emotions, God meets us. He doesn't try to fix it, disapprove of it, punish it, ignore it, avoid it. He is with us when we are experiencing even those negative, distressing emotions. And what he wants us to know first and foremost is that we are known, we are loved, we are secure, and we are not alone because he's with us. Well, we need to take a break and tell people how they can connect to us and get their friends connected to us. So we'll just take a quick break and we'll be right back. We'll be right back in a jiffy. But we want to take a quick pause to say thank you. Thank you so much for listening in. If you like what you're hearing, think about texting this episode to a friend. And find us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. Okay, we're back talking about no matter how hard we try and avoid emotions, because it's pretty tempting to, they can get messy or avoid our kids' emotions, they're just simply not going to go away. Mm -mm. You can stick that skunk in a closet, but (laughs) it's going to end up smelling up the whole room eventually. Mm. So we want to look now at some real practical ways that we can do this as parents, or for that matter, uh, in our adult relationships or friendships. So give us some steps from Gottman, Lynn. Yeah, so his research again shows that connecting with your child emotionally, it's not complicated, but we do have to be consciously aware of it and be intentional about it. And that's the first point that he makes is that you need to slow down and pay attention and be aware. 
And the more you're aware of your own emotional world and what's happening inside of you, I think the more prepared, open, observant, curious you can be with your child's emotional world. Absolutely. And then secondly, just try to recognize emotions as an opportunity for connecting or teaching. So instead of being scared and going and crawling in bed and pulling the covers over your head, see this as, wow, my child's having some really intense emotions. Maybe they're really depressed and sad, and maybe that scares you. And you just, oh my goodness, we just want to make you know, him or her feel so much better right now. But if you can see it as, huh, I wonder what's happening inside of my child, and I wonder how I can communicate to them that I'm with them. Again, powerful moment to connect with your child. So the first one's be aware. Mm-hmm. We could say maybe the second one is be curious. Yes. And explore. Yeah. And then the third one would be, again, help your child to verbally label and talk about what they're feeling. There are a million feeling word sheets out there. We created one that we really like that you can download for free. If you follow us on Instagram, find us at With You in the Weeds, and you will see on one of our buttons there's a free emotion coaching guide that you can download, and we really like that one. But again, you're helping your child's brain you know, create a bridge between the left side of the brain, which is the logical, linear, language part of the brain, and then the right side of the brain, which is more the emotional image, you know, sensory part of the brain, by helping them label their emotions, you're building a connecting bridge between these two parts. And that is going to help them become a whole person, which is what this whole series is about. That's so good. Yeah. And then the next one would be to communicate empathy and understanding even when there's misbehavior. This is a tough one, John. Why is this one so hard? Um, I just think, (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, all of this is hard, to be honest with you, because it takes time. Mm -hmm. And you have to slow down, and you have to pay attention to what they're saying. And I think it's time. Mm. That's the biggest thing. The reason I'm laughing is I just remember my daughter coming home. She was about 15 and didn't want to do her homework. Hmm. And she just sat at the kitchen table and she said, Dad, I hate doing homework. And I remember this one time I sat with her and I said, man, you want to talk about hating homework? When I was in high school, sometimes I would just blow it off and I just wouldn't do it. And she got really interested. She was, really? Like, what Mm -hmm. did you do? Mm -hmm. I said, well, you know, I just kind of watch TV or something. And I just hated homework. She goes, man, dad, I hate it too. And I said, I know it's awful. Mm -hmm. And she ended up looking at me saying, dad, this is such a cool conversation. (laughs) And I said, I know you need to go do your homework now. Now, did she say, now, dad, what happened? What, what grade did you get in the class? (laughs) I think I told her that I flunked out of school, went to prison and all that stuff. Scared her into going to do her homework. Is that kind of how it worked? (laughs) It it was really interesting. It's the same thing with a tattoo. Mm Mm-hmm. I just took a couple of events and I just decided instead of telling her this is what I want her to do, Mm -hmm. I just climbed into her world. Right, right. Like, what do you, why do you want a tattoo? Yeah, yeah. Like, what appeals to you? Yeah. And I literally remember her telling me, Dad, this is such a cool conversation. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. And then I said, I know, but you're not going to get a tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. And that's the last thing, actually, is 
you know, that emotion coaching parents did set limits, that it's not that they communicated that, you know, every feeling that you have, every wish, every desire is something that can be fulfilled or should be fulfilled, but they did put parameters around their kids and helped them problem solve. Um, But doing that from a position of coming alongside of them, you know, not like, wow, look at this problem that you're making for me, but, you know, coming next to them and saying, okay, what do you need from me to help you solve this problem? How can I support you through solving this problem? And these are just the basic ways that we can be emotion coaching parents. Yeah. In some ways you can encapsulate this as letting their world be their world Mm -hmm. and getting really curious about it. You know, if they say to you something like, I hate going to church, instead of, you know, shutting them down saying, well, you're going anyway. Mm. Get curious. Like, what kind of a church would you make if you could make a church? Mm -hmm. Like, why do you hate church so much? Mm Mm-hmm. Because what drives a parent is fear. Like, right. I don't want my child to feel this way. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to make this kind of a decision. But we are not in control of that. Mm. What we are in control of, though, is engaging them and helping them label and intellectualize what it is that their brain is doing inside of them. That's good. And it has a calming effect on them. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Siegel earlier, and I love his analogy of building a bridge. Um, your bottom right part of your brain, to be more technical about it, is giving you all of your emotional stuff, all of your images, memories, desires, all that stuff that happens a lot outside of your awareness. Your top left part of your brain is the decision-making part. Mm. Like, no, I shouldn't do this. Yes, I want to do this. I am going to do this. And kids need a, Siegel says they need a staircase. If you want to use an analogy of a basement and the upstairs of the house, you need a staircase to travel back and forth from the basement to the upstairs section. You need a pathway to be able to read your emotions know what they are, and then make a decision. Mm -hmm. So when you come in and you say to a kiddo, hey, would you make that decision differently if you had it to do over again? You're helping build that staircase. Sure. If you're saying, what do you feel? Can you label it? You're helping build that staircase. Mm -hmm. If you say to them, okay, I see that you're angry. Use your words. Tell me what you're feeling. You're building the staircase. And that creates a neurological structure in the brain that helps them put those two parts together, the feeling part, the more logical decision-making part. And the other thing is it increases their ability for delayed gratification and impulse control. Yeah, those are huge. And Lynn, there's even research on this that shows that kids can do, that can do this well do better on ACT exams, mm-hmm. and they do better in yeah, school. right. So you want your kid to be smart and get a scholarship, start engaging them emotionally, right? Yeah. There's money in this. Yeah. And so, you know, what does it look like for us to put this into practice? Because these are great concepts, but again, in the moment, you may not know how to even begin doing this. And one of the first suggestions I would have is just noticing. Um, Notice your child's body language. Notice their behavior. Notice the look on their face. Notice those intent, those um, before the emotions get intense. Notice them when they're just, you know, underneath the surface. And then just say, you know, 
Hey, Sally, I noticed that your face is all scrunched up and your fists are clenched and you're stomping your feet. You know, what's going on? <laughs> you know, like be a mirror for them, right? Yeah. Show them that you're noticing what they're feeling and don't be afraid to do that. And then the second one would just be that empathic responding. You know, wow, it sounds like your teacher really embarrassed you in class today. That sounds awful. What did that feel like for you? You know, instead of shutting it down, well, what did you do wrong? You know, well, <laughs> you know, well, I'm sure you deserved <laughs> right. it, right? The punishing response. Get curious, you know, ask them what it was like for them to experience that. And then engage in their capacity for self-awareness. Like you said, you know, can they look back on a decision and reflect on it? You know, did things turn out the way you want them to? Mm -hmm. If you could do it over again, what would you do differently? These types of questions, again, help your child gain that emotional awareness and intelligence. And then the last one, and I think we mentioned it a little bit, is you know, help your child problem solve. If they're feeling, um, you know, I think a lot of kids these days are dealing with anxiety and a lot of that can revolve around grades and tests and expectations. I mean, that's a huge thing for kids. And so instead of getting mad at them for feeling anxious or just quickly trying to rescue them from it, move towards them in that and come alongside them you know, help me understand what this is like for you when, you when you're sitting in class and you're trying to get all the notes and the assignment, you know, really engage with them and then come alongside them to support them, help them problem solve. What do you need from me? Because honestly, maybe all they needed was for you to listen to them. Oh, yeah. And then they've got it. Like they can do it. They just needed to know that somebody knew, wow, this is really hard. This is really scary. So again, this can be so powerful. And what we love about this model of emotion coaching is that, again, if you start putting these things into practice, you can give this to your child even if you didn't get this from your own parents when you were growing up. That's what I love about this. You can learn it, but you need to start working with it and practicing it. And then it will become more fluid. It'll become more normal and natural for you. The other thing that strikes me hearing you describe that is if you build this platform in that the kiddo knows when I'm in distress, mm -hmm. this person who loves me is going to be with me. And even though it's all a mess, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Guess what that translates into later in adulthood when they're hearing someone say, hey, you know what? God loves you and wants to hear you. Mm -hmm. There's a framework for it. Right. So you're actually being a missionary to your kiddo, setting them up to have a really healthy God image. Yes. This is really powerful stuff. Now, you know what? Everyone gets this wrong. Mm -hmm. We drop the ball. Um, I think anything worth doing is, or anything worth doing well is worth doing poorly. Mm. So none of us is perfect. None of us will get this right all the time. And the cool thing is that even if you drop the ball, you can go back and repair the connection by sharing with your child how you dropped the ball, asking them, hey, what was that like when I blew my top right. and I yelled at you? Like, what was that like for you? Sure. Was that scary? Mm. I'm really sorry. I, my emotions just took over and I made a bad choice. Mm -hmm. um, you can own your behavior and you can ask them to forgive you. And by golly, holy cow, what does that model sure. 
humility, repentance, the possibility of forgiveness and hope and repair, those are indispensable things. If we talk about discipling our children, Mm. those become like holding tanks that they can put things into later. Mm-hmm. and make sense of when they're trying to learn about God's character. And I think those are all the things that we see in very short supply these days in adulthood. Very people, short. People cannot regulate their emotions. They have a hard time taking responsibility for their behavior. I mean, there are just so many things that grow from like this little plant, right? And emotions are such a huge part of that. And so we're trying to cultivate this in our kids so that when they hit adulthood, they have the capacity to deal with life's hardships and Mm. not, you know, they may have moments where they fall apart. They may, you know, make mistakes, but they're not going to be undone by those things. They're not going to, you know, be so turned inward that they can't move through those emotions. And so we really want to continue to build this to help them become fully whole people. You know, I I even think there's a place for inserting that comment from one of the Gospels describing Jesus's childhood, where he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Mm. As he grew, he grew characterologically. Sure. And the Gospel writer mentions that. So this is really important mm. material. Um, let's Let's move quickly into two things to stop and two things to start. And we've said a lot that's really good that you can go back and think about. But just to land the plane, uh, two things to stop. Stop withdrawing, mm-hmm. like moving away from your kids, avoiding right. the emotions. You know, self-medicating with drugs, alcohol. Like, my kids were a mess. I'm just going to drink wine tonight. Yeah, numbing out. Mm-hmm. Numbing out, watching television, giving them Benadryl. You're going to bed early. <laughs> Um, oh, is that wrong? <laughs> yeah, Sorry. I, yeah, you know, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, I'll just go on record. Yeah. We we had these things called Benedates. Sometimes. Oh no, John. Do you I really want to confess this? Yeah. Well, mm. anytime Hannah would have a sniffle, like it was time for. Oh, honey, you need a pill. Mm. Like, and we knew that she would go down pretty easily that night, and we could yeah. have a date. Right. Got it. Um, but but you get the idea. Yeah. Like checking out distracting yourself, um, cleaning the house all the time, Mm. or just staying busy with stuff outside the house, Um, shopping, eating, exercising excessively. And it's not that some of these things are really bad. Right, right. But if you're using them to avoid Avoid. engaging with your children, they rob you of the opportunity Mm. to nurture your kiddo. Mm -hmm. Um, So stop withdrawing. Start paying attention to your life. Are you doing that? Um, and if you are, get curious about it. Like, what is it that keeps me from mm-hmm. engaging my kiddo? So stop withdrawing and stop moving against your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, we get angry, reactive, explosive, controlling. We power up to avoid feeling out of control. Mm-hmm. And that just shuts your kids down. Right. Right. Both of sure. those are yeah. shutting them down. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so stop doing those things and start doing these two things. Move toward your kiddos. Like go back through this material and start looking for ways. How can I engage their emotional world? How can I enter into their world and help them name and label like what they're feeling? 
Um, and if I really cannot do that, can I go see a counselor and figure out how to do that? So I can do that like with my kiddos. Um, and then repairing when you goof up. That's mm -hmm. the beautiful mm -hmm. thing. If you come back to your kiddo and repair a goof up, that gives them the ability to trust you. Like, right. gosh, I goof up too. And mm -hmm. mom's goofing up and she's showing me that there's a way forward yeah. through goofing up. It, and it leaves me feeling like I matter. And that will build a lot of trust. Mm. So if you drop the ball, it's not over. Mm -hmm. That Harvard guy with the still face experiment talks about the good, the bad, the ugly. The good is the good. Yeah. The bad is the stuff that happens as we fumble through life, but the bad can be repaired. Yes. The ugly is when there's no repair. Yeah, when they stay in the state of disconnection. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Yeah. Wow. Lots to think about today. Yeah. All in one episode. And obviously we can't say everything that needs to be said, but we hope that some of this material is going to be really helpful for you. Yeah. So why don't you say goodbye to everybody, Lynn, and then I'll play the outro. <laughs> goodbye and good luck. <laughs> there you go. And I do not drug my kids. <laughs> Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at WithYouInTheWeeds. If you like what you're hearing, text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.